0: Extremely exciting to start a week-long training with a message like this. Even when I was preparing it, I wasn't really thinking about the fact that it was going to be the the first Sunday of the week long. I was just preparing what was on my heart, which is very typical. Like when it's Mother's Day, I usually forget it's Mother's Day and I have this very manly message uh, that comes out. And that's very typical of Eric. I don't seem to think uh, and reason around holidays and special events. And maybe it's a strength or maybe it's a great weakness. I'm sure the debate is out there and uh, and still everyone's trying to figure that out. But once again, I wasn't thinking about the fact that this is going to be your first Sunday or your lone Sunday here. And yet it matches with a lot of what you're going to be trained in even the rest of today if you're a week-long student. And just as far as the body of Christ goes, this is an imperative message. This is the type of idea that gets lost in the American mindset today. The, I love America. I'm a big fan of America, and I cherish our heritage. I cherish, cherish the unique opportunity that we have as Americans to have a liberty to express Our faith and to actually go into the world and share our faith. We have prospered uh, missionary uh, movements unlike any other nation has. And yet there's vulnerabilities in this nation too, if you haven't figured that out. And because of the freedoms that we've had, we also can have a softness around the edge. And we can oftentimes elevate self-comfort in a way that God never intended it to. And so, A message like this is important to almost like recalibrate our system around the Word of God, as opposed to around our culture. Because we just have a tendency to calibrate our Christianity around our culture instead of around the Word. And so I just want us to gain a fresh glimpse into the kingdom of heaven and to realize this is what he created us for, this is how it's supposed to work, and just get back down to the basics. Escaping the Viking stronghold. Secrets to spiritual freedom now with a with a title like that you 'd expect to see some Viking longboats or you know some like horned helmet or things and if any of you just uh, spent the summer with me via Daily Thunder, you know that i just spent a long time with Alfred the Great, and so I do sort of miss that, uh, and so i found some excuses to slip some Viking stuff into my messages I was just speaking in uh, Georgia this last week, and I slipped in a little Alfred into my message uh, down there. You know, they don't know any different, right? It's just uh, Alfred's coming up. They don't realize I've just had 21 messages on Alfred. But there's so many good things with Alfred, I didn't get packed into that time. So uh, if, if you haven't heard that series in Daily Thunder, I highly recommend it. It's very powerful. Uh, but this is escaping the Viking stronghold. So the ancient island. Once upon a time, it had been a Christian land. So we know it as Great Britain, England, the United Kingdom. And yet, back in the day, it was called Britain or Britannia, the island of Britannia. And so here's sort of an old picture of it back in AD 848. And uh, it is actually known as the Heptarchy, which was seven different nations. And I know I only have four different colors. This was actually done for a specific teaching in my Alfred series. But uh, Wessex in the bottom left is where our hero, uh, Alfred, uh, lives. So he's the king of Wessex. But it's a divided nation, and uh, this land is going to be invaded in 865 by the Vikings. And boo, they're bad dudes. And There's a great evil that is going to sweep into this nation. One of the reasons I decided to teach on Alfred the Great in the first place was because I felt like it paralleled what we are going through in America right now, where we once were a great Christian nation. Something's gone wrong to the point where, are we Christian? I know I know there's Christians inside of this nation, but I don't know that any of us would go out of our way to call this a Christian nation. And I don't even know that we'd call it a post-Christian nation. It might be more accurately described as an anti-Christian nation. And that's a strange place to arrive at. How in the world do you arrive at being an anti-Christian nation when you start out as a Christian one? Well, that's odd. And yet that's what we're seeing happen here too. We're seeing an invasion of something that is so opposite of Christianity. The Viking ideology, the Viking religion, you know, they worship Odin and Thor, and it is evil. And bloodlust is like their religion. Sacrifice of humans, you know, their religion. And so it's a very, very dark thing. You know one thing that they hate? Jesus. Jesus. It's interesting because you, it's sort of a dead giveaway that something might be a little off is when you hate Jesus, okay? So, yeah, that's what's invading the island. So I'm going to introduce you to one very particular Viking. There's a reason for it, and that is because of his, his name is going to service my message well, and that is Ivar. I'm going to be teaching you on the concept of I, like the letter I, right? I. It's a pronoun in the English language, so if I say I... Uh, that is talking about me, right? And I is me. And if you said it, it's be you. And so Ivar just happens to have a big capital I on the front of his name. So it serves, serves my message well. And so I've picked this Viking. He's a really bad Viking too. And listen to his name. Ivar the Boneless. Oh, boy. I don't know exactly what that means, uh, you know, if you're boneless, but it just sounds creepy, right? So the story of Ivar the Boneless vengeance, bloodthirst, hate, and a burning desire to totally remove the worship of Christ from the world. When he comes into this land, he wants to devastate Christians. He wants to annihilate anything that has to do with this ancient faith. And you see, his father was killed by Christians, and he hates Christians as a result. Now, ironically, his dad was known as Ragnar, another sort of, uh, his, his nickname was Harry breeches. His dad's, uh, could you imagine, the boneless and the hairy breeches? These are some funny nicknames. But his dad comes into the northern country, Northumbria, and what's he doing? He's plundering. He's bringing havoc and, and uh, devastation to the land, and he gets caught and thrown into a, a pit of snakes. And Ivar has the audacity to get mad at the Christians for this. And so he's just so upset. It's, it's sort of like the, the demons uh, or Satan getting upset because he got tossed out of heaven, you know, and it's like, hey, how dare you? And now he wants to wreak vengeance on the kingdom of heaven. It's just like, didn't you start the whole problem in the first place? And yet, you know, that's how the devil works. It's all vengeance. It's bloodthirst. It's, it's, it's hate. So Winston Churchill, speaking of Ivar the Boneless, says, In hearing the report of his father's execution in Northumbria, Ivar's faith, face became red, blue, and pale by turns, and his skin appeared puffed up by anger. Oh. So I'm just setting a little story in place, even though it's, I'm using this guy mainly as a tool just because his name starts with I, okay, to be honest with you. But it still fits. It's fascinating to get a little backstory on our I character. Oh, no, guys, there's Ivar. I, I actually had his name. See, at the bottom, it says Ivar. I actually had it in a script font, and I realized I never gave the font to our, our computer so that it could translate it, so it's this really boring font. I had it like he signed his picture. That was the way I had it. It didn't come out that way. Uh, but there's Ivar. Doesn't he look menacing? I don't know that I'd want to run into that guy in a back alley. Uh-huh. That's Cap I. So in our story today, I'm going to be dealing with Different forms of I. Capital I is this guy, okay? Ivar. Capital I is not a good thing, okay? I'm just going to give you, I know it's somewhat of a giveaway uh, to my message, but capital I, not good. The foul makeup of Ivar the boneless, the terrible Viking invader ruling your And I had islands because that's what we're talking about, right? He's ruling our island. The Vikings are going to come in and at one point in time, they're going to rule over the entire island. Okay. And and, uh, Alfred the Great's going to be on a little swamp island of two acres and he's going to be without any power, no communication. And somehow from that situation, he's going to turn the tide and push back. And ultimately the Vikings are going to be removed from this island. But that's the whole story that I went through this summer. We're not going through that today. However, the Vikings are coming in, and they're going to take over the entire island. You notice I crossed out island, and I called it your body. Because there is a problem in the human body. Imagine that you're the island of Britannia, and you were created for a great purpose. Just like this island, you know, as I said, this island used to be a Christian nation. You used to be, in your original purpose... You were created to reveal the glory of God. But something has taken over. A hostile entity is ruling over this body, this island known as you. And that's part of what I want to unpack today. To give you what I'm calling the foul makeup of Ivar the Boneless. So the glossary of Ivar's control, also known as the law of sin and death, so something has happened. The law of sin and death is basically, if I were going to give enunciation to it, you sin, you die. Okay? It's a little easier to understand because when you hear the term, the law of sin and death, you hear it all growing up, it doesn't, still doesn't make any sense to you. But basically, God in the Garden of Eden says, the day in which you eat of that tree, you will surely die. So if you sin, you will die. Okay? It's pretty simple. It's just logic, right? And however, when they sin, what's going to come in is a Viking force, it's like when you sin, it's going to open up the shoreline of your island to the Vikings and you will have no defense. So don't eat that fruit. And yet Eve is going to eat of that fruit, give it to Adam. Adam's going to eat of that fruit. And well, What do we have? Exactly what God said was going to happen. Something is going to rule them. It's known as sin and it leads to death. Okay, It's destruction. And that's what we see in the island of Britannia back in the uh, AD and. Uh, 60 time frame all the way through nine, or AD 920. It's it's a terrible period where the Vikings are ravaging the landscape. So we have different terms that many of you are familiar with, and I'm not going to go through them in in depth, but I'm going to go over them in a you know, sort of a skim milk version. First of all, sin, and you notice that I capitalized the S on sin because. And lower down in the list, I have sins, okay? Now, I didn't capitalize the S in that because sin is sort of the chief operation. The result of it are sins, okay? A lot of us mix those two up. But sin is I, and that's in quotes. Remember I? It's a letter, right? But it means something. In the English language, that's me. Or if you're saying it, it's you, okay? And when me or you... (laughs) We sit in the seat of power and control and take territory that is unlawful. You see, there is a seat, what we could call a throne, in each of our lives. And we're tremendously attracted to that seat. It's like a magnet. And it seems to suck us into its, uh, its cozy uh, cushion. You see, we want to sit in that seat. We want to be in control of our life. And when I sit in that seat, what I am doing is I am establishing a kingdom that is contrary to the rulership of Christ in my life because it's not my seat. That seat belongs to Jesus Christ, my creator. I was not designed to sit in it. And when I do, I actually create havoc for my life and for others around me. And so that's what sin is. In a nutshell, it's you sitting in the unlawful seat. Flesh, you guys have heard that term. Uh, It's the Viking agenda, the Viking way, the Viking command. You see, there is, your body has a sensory dimension to it. It has appetite. And your appetite is empowered when you sit in that seat. You see, your appetite isn't your problem. Did you know that? God's not against your sexuality, the fact that you have a digestive system, the fact that you need sleep. However, when little I sits in that seat and becomes capital, then suddenly your body begins to rule you instead of you ruling your body. You see, I thought that I was getting power when I sat in that seat, when in actuality I'm being ruled by something when I sit in that seat. Carnal or fleshly. It's the description of the behavior that flows out of sin and the flesh. So, what sort of behavior am I going to have? It's going to be fleshly behavior. It is going to be carnal behavior that is going to come out of me or I sitting in that seat. And the result of that is now I am ruled by something known as sin, but also the flesh, which will make more sense. We could just call him Ivar. And then sins. The guaranteed results of sitting in the unlawful seat and coming under the service of Ivar. So Ivar, the Viking regime, has come into my life and has now taken control. And because I sat in that seat that was unlawful and not mine, I have empowered a different way of living. It's a Viking way of living. And guess what? It is anti-Christ technically, Ivar wants to destroy everything in my life that even has a hint towards Christ. He doesn't sponsor it. He doesn't help it. He is against it. This is not good. Which is why when people come unto Christ, it is very, very important that they kick out Ivar. That they do not allow Ivar's regime to continue in their life because it is hostile. They need to pull an Alfred the Great and push the Viking out. So capital I, which is ultimately what I'm after, if you haven't sort of caught that. I'm about uh, this I. I mean, I've worked hard to build Ivar as a character just so I could get to this. Capital I, the system of self, sin, flesh, carnal living, the life that is all about me, myself, and I. Your life is actually not about you. Well, at least it's not supposed to be. You see, your life is meant to be about something other than you. The problem is... You took the seat. And as long as you take that seat, you are nullifying the purpose of your life. You are giving this territory that you have been uniquely handed, your island, known as you, you're handing it over to Ivar. He's a Viking. He wants to destroy you. He doesn't care about you. Oh, I have a good working relationship with Ivar. He gives me pleasures. Well, I'm sure he does. He's keeping you locked in a cage is what he's doing. He throws you a slab of meat every now and then, keeps you busy and preoccupied with yourself. This is not living. This is not what God called you to. He has such a higher purpose for you and for this island. He desires it to be used for the glory of God. Deuteronomy 28 49 through 52 talks about this exact thing in the Old Testament. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand, a nation of fierce countenance. Sounds like Ivar the boneless, doesn't it? Which does not respect the elderly, no show favor to the young, and they shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you are destroyed. You see, when we hear that, we're always thinking just about Israel, and we're thinking about land, and we're thinking about actual produce and something growing in the field, instead of recognizing that when you take little I and set it in a place that doesn't belong to little I, taking God's position that this is what happens. Whether it's in a land like a nation or whether it's in an individual body, this is how it works. They shall not leave you grain or new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or the offspring of your flocks until they have destroyed you. They shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you. Now, what did Israel do to have this type of warning come their way? Well, if they turn from God, if they remove God from his position of control and instead, they think of themselves as God, that they think they know what is best for their life. Oh, no, you don't want to do that, because what would happen? Uh, this would happen. And it's this idea of the Northmen. You see, the, uh, the Vikings are called the Northmen. And so in Scripture, you have this, this idea of the Northmen, and that's why I can play this out. The powerful picture of Alfred, king of Wessex. So Alfred is going to do something very, very different. Ivar is a capital I, but Alfred is going to be like a lowercase i version where he is going to humble himself and he's going to say, God, I can't defeat the Vikings. I don't have the capacity, but I trust that you hate this evil and you have a purpose for this country. And so I am going to allow you to take this country of mine and lead me. Take my hands, take my feet, take my eyes, take my mouth and use it as an instrument for you. I cannot defeat this, but I know you Can. And Alfred is going to be a picture of the triumph of what it means for us as Christians to remove the enemy from our land. He has a secret a secret sauce, if you will, and I want us to understand it. So I describe it this way the humble lowercase I, believing that his God is able to save his island, or I think island's supposed to be crossed out there, body, from the evil Viking invader. So one of our students from over the summer uh, named Zion Schaefer, drew a little picture of uh, Alfred for me. So it gives you a mental picture. I don't know uh, if, if he does look nicer than Ivar, right? He's a very nice guy, okay? You just need to trust me. He's a very nice guy, uh, Alfred the Great. So I'm going to give a new name for Alfred. Remember, my whole point in this is I need I names, and those aren't very easy to come by, Okay. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to name him, instead of Alfred, I'm going to name him I-red. I know you're like, what in the world are you doing? Hey, just trust me, okay? It's important. And you'll notice that the very first letter in his name doesn't, isn't capitalized, okay? That I is a lowercase I, and then I'm going to capitalize what he's trusting in. So I like this because one of the phrases that we use in Christianity, and we use it a lot here, is I'm in Christ. And so I like that. It's like I is clothed in the red, is clothed in the work of the cross, is clothed in the righteousness, the robe of righteousness. And so that's what this, this is. Like, I read, okay? I, I trust the red, uh, And that's, I have a whole bunch of messages on red, which would go into this a little deeper. I'm not going to go into that right now with us. But I'm going to change his name. I'm sorry to do that for those of you that are purists. And you're like, his name is Alfred. I know, it is. However, uh, my main point in this is not Ivar, and Alfred, it's you. It's me. It's understanding how we relate to Jesus and how we relate to something known as sin in the flesh in our own life. So the glossary of Ired's response, aka the law of believe and live. So there's two laws we're dealing with. One is you sin, you die. And there's another law, believe and live. Isn't that interesting? Did you know that believe and live is a greater law? Like if those two go head to head, believe and live wins, that there's actually no competition between the two. It really bothers the devil because he's always playing up the law of sin and death. I mean, that's his ace card. He's like, I gotcha. And then God pulls out the Trump card. It's like, whoa, how'd you do that? It's Trump. Well, who defined that? I did. See, God wins this game. And he says, okay, you sinned, therefore you die. Yes, but if you will humble yourself and you will repent, and believe, you will live. It's like gravity and aerodynamics. There are two laws, the law of gravity and the law of aerodynamics. Who wins? If you submit to a plane and trust it, you know that the law of gravity has nothing against you, even though it's a very real law. It's still there. Even when you're in the plane, it's still there. The law of sin and death still exists, even though this other law is there. But when you trust yourself to that other law and you submit to that plane, you triumph over the lower law. You defeat it. And so it's there, but you are dead to it as long as you remain and abide in the higher law. So the glossary of Ired's response, also known as the law of believe and live. Faith. Faith is that little I known as you, right, me, stepping down from the unlawful seat and humbly requesting Jesus to take his rightful position. All right, it sort of looks like this. That's not my seat. That belongs to you, Jesus, and I trust that you can save this life. I can't, but I know that you are a savior. You are a redeemer. You are the captain of my salvation. You take what is rightfully yours. It is not my seat to take. That action of faith is very, very important to the formation of the proper I inside of us. Spirit, not flesh. This is a difference. This isn't the Viking agenda. This is God's agenda, the God way, the God command. God has a way of handling this body. However, when we submit to the flesh or sin, the the body is going to go in the wrong direction. It's not going to be used as it was intended to be used. But when we submit to God, we give Christ his seat, then the Spirit of God is able to rule in our life and is able to direct us in a completely different pattern of living. The term for this is grace. We are no longer under law, but under grace. No longer are we under the effects of the law of sin and death, but we are now under the effects of the law of believe and live. The effects of that are power. Grace is power. Power to do what? To live an impossible life. It's a life that you otherwise couldn't live. So that these hands can actually please God. These eyes can look where they're supposed to look. This mouth can speak what it's supposed to speak. These ears can listen to what it's supposed to listen to. This mind can meditate upon what it's supposed to meditate upon. This heart can beat with God's burdens instead of my own. These feet can go where God would take me. I want to be a life empowered by grace. I don't want to be under Ivar's control. I want this. What is this? This is Christ's control. I is still there. You notice that? See, I isn't the problem. It's a problem when it capitalizes. But I, or you and me, God desires to share this journey with us. He doesn't abolish us, He doesn't knock out the I. He actually establishes the I, but in the right way, as a servant, as a butler to His agenda, instead of as the king. And then finally, lowercase i. So this is the contrast with capital I. Lowercase i is the system of righteousness, love, mercy, and truth, the life that is all about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's just push a pause button on this message real quick, and I want you to think about what your life is about, what you think about more than anything else. Okay, one of the litmus tests to our lives is oftentimes what we think about or what is the center of our life is what we usually meditate upon when we lay in bed at night. Because when we lay in bed at night, we sort of, you know, just begin to come down, and our mind fixes on that which is its focus. And so when you're young and growing up, you have a tendency to think about the opposite sex, okay? Now, it's just, it's a weird phenomenon, Uh, and yet it shows you that your life is about something, but it might not be Christ. When we get older, we have a tendency to think about the stresses and cares of our life. Business decisions, how we're doing, our kids, and if they're going to make it. You know, oh boy, have I ruined them? All these different things that we can think about as we lay in bed. And yet, what God desires is for that meditation and that focus to be something very specific. To be on Him. To be on the needs of others. You see, there is something that He designed us for but this world contorts us. Everything in this world tells us to focus on ourselves. It's no wonder that we do, but we are inclined to it anyways. So not only are we inclined to it, but then the world prospers the notion, which then, of course, only furthers the problem. The kingdom of heaven is completely other than that, which in the church of Jesus Christ, we should constantly be encouraging one another to take our mental focus, and shift it where it's supposed to go. However, we don't oftentimes know how to exhort one another towards that, which is why a message like this can be important. So, Ivar versus Ired. So, do you guys know which one to cheer for uh, so far? Okay, so Ivar, boo, bad guy, okay? Viking. And then we have Ired. I like it, okay? Ired, yeah, Alfred, go, Alfred. This is the one who's going to humble himself and recognize God deserves this island. This is his island. Even though he is too weak to truly take it back, he knows that his God is not. You know that one of the great battles of Alfred is going to be uh, May 6, eight, seventy-eight. Uh, it's called the Battle of Eddington. And Alfred is going to do it on the day of Pentecost, very specifically. He's going to call his nation to Egbert Stone on the day of Pentecost. Why would he choose the day of Pentecost? He says, this is the day that God gave power to his people to stand up against evil. And so that's what we need. As the people of Wessex, we need power from on high to stand against this great evil in our land. I like his thinking. That's I-read thinking, okay? So capital I versus lowercase i. Ivar is sitting where he ought not to be. (laughs) Betalugma erimosis. Doesn't it just sound like a very evil thing? Even the way I said it, of course. Some of you are like, yeah, look at the way you said it. It's like in Lord of the Rings, there's something that uh, is read and it sounds like all creepy. Even the way J.R.R. Token writes certain like ugly languages, he writes them that way on purpose. I don't know. Maybe God did that with this word, too. Betelugma erismosis. See, if you get the facial expression on there, too, it's like really bad. So what is that? Betelugma uh, Foul and abominable. And then erismosis, to make something nothing, to destroy everything, to make desolate. So this phrase is going to be called the abomination of desolation. And it's actually in the book of Daniel and uh, Jesus is going to talk about it, I think, in the book of Matthew and in Mark. He's going to reference the Bedelegmu erismosis. Oh, yuck. What is that? That is... Something sitting where it ought not to sit. Isn't that an irony? Something foul sitting where it ought not to sit. Okay, now this is going to be understood as we go through eschatological studies of the study of the end, the study of this antichrist. This is that which is opposed to Christ sitting in Christ's seat. And we're always like, oh, yuck, terrible. And yet, what is the essence of sin? It is foul to sit in Christ's seat. It is a very, very ugly thing. And yet every single one of us in here, if I had to ask how many of you have ever sat in that seat, you don't need to raise your hand. I'm just saying we'd all have to raise our hand. Every single one of us has usurped the throne, which is why we are all sinners we have all done the dastardly deed, and we have been caught red instead of red-handed. I'm going to say red rear-ended. Sitting in that seat, we are caught sitting where we ought not to be. So, translation: "Bellelegmu Erasmusius." <laughs> see, some of you are wanting to say it too, just to see like what it sounds like off your tongue. This is what it means: the foul one who seeks to destroy everything good the Viking who seeks to wipe out all remembrance of truth and righteousness. This is exactly what Ivar is doing. He is sweeping into this country to wipe out all that is good, all that is righteous, all that would remember Jesus. This is a hostile movement against your soul. And it takes a hostile movement to kick it out. It's AD 872. The Northmen, that's what they're referred to, The Betelugma Erasmosis is already here. So at 872, when Alfred is going to get his kingship, they're already there. They're already ruling. And that's sort of where we are too. When we first awaken to the realities of Christ, it's like the Vikings are already there. It's sort of a sad start uh, to our life. It's called bad news. See, The good news only makes sense in light of bad. And the Betelugma Erasmosis is already sitting on the seat. He's already where he ought not to be. This is how Alfred starts his reign too. He's like, what? The Vikings are already here? The Vikings are already here and they shouldn't be. They, are, they have come to destroy Christ and everything, every remembrance of Christ. Oh, what a thing to inherit. And so one of the things I went through in the, in the series on Alfred is how difficult his inheritance was. What he is starting with is a very, very bad, difficult situation. Well, what you are starting with is equally bad. You see, inside of your own life, something is already ruling you by the time you're waking up to the fact. You have already sinned and fallen short of the glory of God before you even realized what sin was. That's a rough start. You're already controlled by the Vikings and you haven't even figured out anything. You haven't even prayed your prayer yet. You just got the assignment, go live for Christ. You're like, I have problems here. I got Vikings everywhere. I got sin, I got the flesh, I got carnal living. I have the whole package against me. Whoa, this is a rough way to start. Daniel 11, 29, 31 through 32. At the appointed time, this is talking about the northmen, he shall return and go toward the south. And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Uh-oh, the belugma erasmosis. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. I really like that finishing line there. You see, in the midst of all this darkness and this doom and this gloom, isn't it an amazing thing to see that line in Daniel right there? Even the context for it, because many of you have seen that line before, but it's usually lifted out because we really don't want to think about what's before it. But look at the context and then look what it says. But But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Huh. That's an interesting meditation in the midst of this terrible situation. Now, here we are in Mark 13. Jesus talking. He's going to reference this very same statement in Daniel. When you see the, Betelugma erasmosis, the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Let's just stop there for a second and meditate. What a miserable situation. Okay, there isn't anything attractive about this. There isn't anything attractive about what we're dealing with in our world right now either. You see, if you've been around anyone who has a tendency to be a little, I don't know if it's the British term, down in the mouth. Where everything they say just sort of has a negative tone to it. It's like, oh, yeah, do you hear what's happening? You know, hear what the present administration is about to do? Yeah, have you heard about this? You know, they're doing this here. Oh, yeah, it's just a matter of time and we're all dead. I don't know if you've heard those types of whisperings, but they're all over the place right now. Okay, it's very easy to be depressed. Very easy. Do we remember who we serve? Alfred is going to be in a very bad situation. I could just imagine the different people coming to his island and going, yeah, yeah, the Vikings rule the entire island, Alfred. I, there's really no hope. Yeah, we have no communication. We can't even get in touch with all the soldiers. I'm sure there's people out there that would fight for you, but we just don't know how to communicate with them. It's just over. Why don't you just leave, go back to Europe, and just find some asylum and hide with your life? That's what, Just for us in America, build a bomb shelter, get a whole bunch of food down there and hide. Suck your thumb and just, you know... Do whatever you can to sort of wait out this evil. That's not what men and women of God do. Men and women of God do exploits in such times. You see, that's the context in Daniel. The context in Daniel is when this happens, this is when the people of God rise up and do exploits. Just read the story of Alfred the Great. It's one of the most extraordinary stories you'll ever hear. This is a man who believed in Jesus Christ, in the midst of a dark age, in the midst of Viking rulership. Where'd this guy come from? It's one of the strangest things in history. It's like, who who taught you that? His mom and his dad died when he was young, and all four of his older brothers are dead. He has a sister remaining. That's it. He's all by his lonesome. Christianity moved out a long time ago. Now there's just vaporous remains. No one can even read in the land of Wessex. So how are they supposed to read the word of God? How are they supposed to know these things? And somehow this guy, in the midst of all this darkness, when what does it say here? The sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars of the heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Yeah, that's about what it feels like for him. And yet, he's going to do exploits. Look at this next line here. Then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. That's the context. You know that it has to get sort of dark before the light really has that contrast and you really appreciate it. So this is the same with your soul. We call it the dark night of the soul. When you come to the end of yourself, you don't know how to push out the Vikings. You don't know how to deal with this issue inside of you. It seems like the devil is mocking you. And you're like, God, I want to live for you. And the devil's like, ha, 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 he can't hear you and you're stuck. You don't know where to go, but you do believe that God is there, and you do believe that he cares about you. So Jacob, this is why it's called the dark night of the soul, Jacob, when he reaches his end, and Esau is waiting to destroy him, he's going to divide his party into two parties, lest one of them gets, you know, killed, then the other one could escape. And he's going to run into God in that night at a place called Peniel, and he's going to wrestle with Him through the night. You guys remember that story? And he's not going to let him go until he gets what that God has to give him. Welcome to the breakthrough right there. There is only one that can save you from the Vikings, and it's not you. It's not your willpower. It's not your grit. It's not your determination. It's not your ability to discipline this body. There is only one that can save you, and his name is Jesus Christ. And when you run into him in that dark place, don't let go. And wrestle until the light breaks forth. Until the Son of Man comes in the clouds with great power and glory. Now I know this is talking about the end. However, this is how it works in the middle too. We need the Son of Man to come in glory in our life. And the only way to do that is to hold on in the darkness. I don't care how dark it gets. This is our hour as the church. This is what we are built for. This is what God has given us his Holy Spirit for. is to rise up in such a time and live boldly for him and to do exploits. The battle over I. So if you're hearing this via audio, the I is a little letter I with quotes around it. But that's a pronoun, right? We understand that. However, when we use the pronoun I, what do we do with it in the English language? We capitalize it. Isn't that an interesting thought? The enemy wants to capitalize I, and God wants I to be lowercase. Listen to this quote. This is a, this is a paraphrase. Richard Wurmbrand, is one of my heroes, said, the English language is the only language that capitalizes the pronoun I. I don't know that I like hearing that. And it's really hard, though, because I I like to have good grammar when I write, and I like to use proper uh, you know, according to the rules of writing. And when I write down an I, I could make it lowercase. I could. But it feels wrong to do it too. Isn't it just fascinating that the culture that we come from? And I know some of you are from different cultures, but the culture that we are, the English-speaking culture, capitalizes I of all things. The capital I, the great nemesis of Christ, this is what Christ came to save us from, is a capital I. Galatians 2.20. Now, I'm going to read this two different ways. I'm going to read it through, and you're going to see a lot of I's in here. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we have the pronoun, and yet it's not, to understand this scripture, you sort of need to remove it from the English, and you need to be able to capitalize and uncapitalize the I to really understand what Paul is saying. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use Ivar and Ired. Okay, you know, Ivar is going to mean capital I, and Ired is going to mean lowercase i. Galatians 2, 2.20, uh, adapted. Ivar has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer Ivar who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which Ired now lives in the flesh, Ired lives by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, there's a capital I that has been crucified so that now I read, a lowercase I, can now live in this body. The I that is caught in the middle. See, this is you and me. We're not necessarily capital or lowercase. We are needing to define that. It's the place of decision. That's why I call it. It is the I that is you. It is the I in the place of decision. You are not the problem. However... If you choose to sit in that seat, you become an enemy of God. You are literally putting yourself against God's purposes in your life. You are joining forces with Ivar. You don't want to do that. And yet, that's where we all find ourselves to start out the grand drama. It's like, what am I doing with Ivar? I don't want to side with him. In fact, we hate Ivar. If we were to compare notes in here, it's like, I hate Ivar. You know, we could pick it. Ivar, put down Ivar. However, we have no power against Ivar. Ivar. Ivar is more powerful than us. However, he's not more powerful than Christ. So the three I's. There's Ivar, which is a capital I, and then we have I red, which is a lowercase i, which is clothed in Christ. Okay, it is the believer. And then we have just plain I needing to choose either Ivar or Ired. And that's us right now. At any point in time, every day we have to choose are we going with Ivar or are we going with Ired? Which way? Are we going capital or are we going to be lowercase in our life? Is this about me or is this about him? So the question is I going capital or lowercase? So let's look at Romans 7, 15 through 24. Now, I'm going to make that I, and you'll notice it's a little bigger. It's a lowercase I, but it's a little bigger than it should be, okay? And that's because in Romans 7, you see Paul wrestling through this on behalf of the Jews so that they can understand he gets it. He understands what their wrestling match is. You see, they are an I that is trying to figure out what is wrong with them. They don't realize that their land is inhabited by Vikings, So it's like God has to explain it to him. What I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin, and I put Ivar, that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells, for the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin or Ivar that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Or who will deliver me from Ivar's power? Now, if the Bible ended there, it would be a very depressing storyline, However, this is bad news. You see, I, this little lowercase i, is actually trying to figure out what's wrong with my body. Why can't I live righteously? When I decide that I want to be pure in my thought life, I, I'm impure. When I decide that I want to consider others as more important than myself, the first thing I start doing is being selfish. What is wrong with me? This is the same thing that Paul is describing here in Romans 7. You see, there is something at work inside of you, it's a Viking agenda, it's called the flesh. The power of sin, and you need to be set free from it. And so as a result, until you recognize sin, you don't understand your Savior. Until you understand your problem, you don't understand that he is the answer to it. And so God has to explain to us that there is a Viking invasion, that Ivar is at large within us, but he shouldn't be. And Jesus has given us everything we need to be saved from Ivar. Now we're going to read the last two lines here. The reason we can rejoice is this: Romans seven twenty four and twenty five. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, or who will deliver me from the Ivar's power? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's good news. The secret to pushing Ivar off the island. Now, I'm going to give you this secret here. It's called the forgotten, forsaken self. You see, we could do the same thing with self, and you could have a capital S version of self, and you could have a lowercase version of self. See, self is not your problem, but when it gets capitalized, it becomes the enemy of God. Self is not meant to be what your life is about. You are not built to focus and fixate on self. You were built to focus and fixate on something greater than self, and his name is Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, I do, Lord, I, I want to come after you. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoa, whoa, what does that mean? So, that word for to deny oneself, in the Greek it's aparnaeomite, it means to forget to forgo, to give up the unlawful seat, to properly understand your position under Christ's control. I'm not in control, he is. And I'm going to forget myself instead of make myself my great meditation in life. Isn't it a weird thought to think that you don't think about yourself throughout the day? For most of you, that just creates this massive vacuum, this void, it's like, well, that's all I have thought about. What else is there to think about? And that's right there, part of the problem. We have not been denying ourselves. We have not been forsaking ourselves. We have not been forgetting ourselves. We've been spending a lot of time remembering ourselves. And as a result, it is hindering our forward progress. And in a sense, we're giving access to the Northmen to be able to control and create havoc in our life. No. We want to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus, we need to give up our own agenda. And to pick up a cross, uh, is a pretty big deal. That means I'm willing to lay down my life ahead of time. When you're picking up a cross, you're saying goodbye to your life. And so to follow Christ is a pretty serious thing that we oftentimes in North American Christianity lose the essence and the power and the significance of it. The needed movement to forget self. It seems like I lost something here, just to say missing one slide. Uh, We had the movement of self-esteem. I'll I'll go back to this one. Uh, The self-esteem movement. Now, if I were to ask you if self-esteem is a good or a bad thing, you'd feel very awkward if you said it's a bad thing because we've been trained our entire life to make self-esteem the great virtue. This is the great function of the soul is to esteem oneself. And I'm just going to say it point blank and make some of you a little uncomfortable, maybe offend some of you, which is always fun that self-esteem is not how we function. Christ's esteem is what we were built for. We need to recognize that Christ esteems us, but our job is not to esteem ourselves. Christ cares for us, but our job is not to care for ourselves. Christ comforts us, but our job isn't to comfort ourselves. It's not self-comfort. It's not self-aggrandizement. It's not self-glory. It's Christ's glory. He takes care of us. Our job is to seek first his kingdom and his glory. His righteousness. He adds all the other things to us. And when we get that right, our life works. When we fall for the bait of self esteem, which is a huge movement in our world. I grew up through the public school system, and oh boy, it's all about self esteem. It's funny because they're teaching you evolution and self esteem at the same time, which is just a a weird reality. It's like you came from nothing, you're a blob, uh, but you're so valuable. So I'm going to encourage a different movement, and we'll call this the forget-self movement. Could you imagine how popular that would be in the public school system? (laughs) The forget-self movement. The self-forgetting movement instead of self-esteem movement. To remember Christ always, to think of others as more important than yourself. You see, this is Christianity. This is the Spirit's agenda. You see, the flesh's agenda, when it takes over the island, is to have you think of self to capitalize i to make ivar what it's all about the viking agenda is now the agenda of the island however we're kicking that out these bodies of ours are no longer about ivar they're no longer about us it's about jesus and when we allow ourselves to be lowercased this can work And when we allow the focus of our soul to no longer be on us, the meditation of our heart to not be upon the betterment of our own life, our own comforts, our own achievements, our own popularity, our own reputation. This is the trap for our souls. The devil says, if you don't think about those things, you'll be nothing in this world. And God says, if you think about those things, you'll be trapped. That's quicksand for your soul. Think on these things. And then he names the things. And he he raises our attentions beyond the earthly realm. He says, think about things that are heavenly, things that are pure and of good report, that are noble. Lift your gaze up here and make that your focus, and you will find life. 1 Corinthians 10, 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. I mean, maybe you've seen the scripture, but does that mean we're doing it? You see, there, I think it's the King James that translates that, let no one seek their own wealth but the wealth of another. That is like the strangest statement for modern America. So do you imagine I'm working all day to make someone else wealthy? It's like, hey, that isn't how it works. I'm thinking about myself. I'm working hard so that I can get money, so that I can buy things that make me feel good. And yet the kingdom of heaven isn't wired that way. So That's actually Viking. Thinking. Whoa, that's capital I thinking, and I've been doing it. God wants to teach you how to consider others as actually more important than you. What would that look like if we actually begin to do that? Doesn't that sound risky? It's like, boy, if I actually considered you as more important than me, who would take care of me? Uh-huh. See? That's Ivar's point. Who's asking that question? Ivar's like, well, who's going to think about you? I mean, you have to be capital I, otherwise you'll be lost in the whole thing. The whole storyline will forget you. You'll be one of those extra characters. You know, like in every great action movie, there's all the guys that get killed along the outside, and the, the superheroes always make it through, and no one can cut, touch them. But if you're one of the extras, boom, you're gone, all right? <laughs> I don't want to be an extra. I want to be a main character in this story. You have to capitalize I to be main, or do you? You see, in the kingdom of heaven, the greatest are those who take the least position. So what were you saying? You wanted to be a great character, right? Well, then are you willing to be the lowest in this world and take the lowest place? You see, this is backwards to us. It's upside down. That's why many people have called it the upside down kingdom. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. I prefer you over me. I prefer thinking about your needs more than I do thinking about my own needs. Now, here's the risk. If I think about your needs above my own, if I think about your wealth above my wealth, if I think about your well-being above my well-being, who's going to think about mine? God promises that when we turn outward, he thinks about our needs. And he will supply for us in the way that only he can. You want to see a supernatural life? start turning outward. It's risky in the best sense of the word. Exercise in a healthy forgetfulness. The wave, the smile, the hello, the listening, the remembrance, the prayer, the rubric shift. Sorry, I just put some notes down. Uh, I remember when I was going through this thing, this is like young collegiate Eric Ludi, been transformed by Jesus, given myself radically to him, and now I'm trying to figure out how this life works because I'm, I'm so used to thinking about me. I'm not used to thinking about others. So I remember realizing that to think about others doesn't really fit our culture, and, but I'm going to start doing it. And so I, I, I remember thinking, if I'm going to do unto others as I would have them do unto me, what would that look like? You know, I like it. You know, like when I come up to a dog and the dog wags its tail, it's like, you know what, I like that dog. Because that dog is showing value to me by showing enthusiasm to see me. So here's what I wanna do. I want to, when people come into my life, I wanna smile and I want to wag my tail, in a sense, with my smile. And when I'm driving by them or walking by them, I wanna wave at them. Say, hi there, how you doing today? So I start doing this and guess what? You know how many times I said something or waved or smiled and I received nothing back? And so your instinct is to hold back up and think about yourself. In fact, when someone doesn't respond, the first thought you have is you. It's like, oh, I feel dumb. It's like sticking your hand out to shake someone and no one shakes it. It's like, oh, yeah, you're so, uh. (laughs) And we have a tendency to think about ourselves in that moment. So I begin to make it a game. And if I am left hanging or I wave and someone doesn't respond back, it's like a point. Okay, you can get points that way. All right? And so... To actually take the risk and to turn outward, even if someone doesn't respond well, even if someone rejects it, it's like this is what we're built for. I begin to find such happiness in my life when I begin to do this. It was like this joy began to uh, emerge within my soul as I begin to turn outward in very simple ways. The listening. You ever notice when someone's talking to you that it's very easy to be caught in your own thoughts of what you're going to say back to them? It's like you're forming your little phrase or you know, something that will make you look intelligent and you could, oh, I can give that little bit of information which will make them impressed that I'm so smart instead of actually listening and risking the fact that you'll have nothing to say when they're done. Oh, that's scary. Could you imagine if you're not so focused on what you're going to say but on what they're saying that you're actually, I know, a novel concept, listening to them, hearing them, praying, saying, God, what do you want? for this person. How can I bless them? Not, how can I look cool? Not, how can I say something intelligent? Not, how can I impress them? And of course, that person over there in Starbucks that I'm sure is listening in. But how can I give to this person, even if I look like a bumbling idiot? I'm open, God, because I want them to be blessed. The remembrance. There are people in your life right now that feel probably a lot like you do, forgotten, where no one's thinking about them, the whole universe centers around other people but you, and you're sort of on the outs. You ever thought about just remembering those people, praying for them, sending them little notes? I mean, this is like an art form in and of itself, just to constantly be considering those around you instead of considering yourself. The prayer, and so while you're doing that, actually pray for them. You ever said to someone, it's like, yeah, I'll pray for that, and then you never do? To actually pray for people. One of my favorite stories is Fred Rogers, uh, you know, Mr. Rogers, that everyone he met felt valued and that he would keep a list of everyone in his life that, and he would just pray for them, just mention them by name every day. Like, I like that. You see, you, you feel loved by Fred. And I want people to feel loved by me. Sometimes you have to do practical things to make that clear. What I'm calling the rubric shift. I know, sort of a big word. But uh, that's my final slide here, the rubric shift. It's no longer how does that impact me, but what would be best for Christ and others. It's a different way of thinking. It's an entire reset. It's like you take the entire purpose uh, of your brain and what it's functioning for and what you're intending to do with your life, and you flip it out. You switch it. So when I teach men about, say you're driving down the road and there's some billboard or there's something in your life that is going to uh, have an image that would be unhealthy for you to meditate upon. See, one of the things that I've said is that there's something known as focus in your your eyes that is different than seeing something, okay? So like in this room right now, I could look at Elijah Vogel and I see all of you, but I'm not focused on all of you. I'm focused on Elijah. Hey, bud. And so even though you are there and I see you, yes, but I'm not focused on you. And the same is true with you. You're in your life and you matter and you have real needs. You do. However, what you focus your gaze on is not you. You're still there. You still see those needs. Yes, they're really happening. Yes, you need to get some sleep tonight. Yes, you do need to eat some food. Yes, it's there. You still know it's there and you still tend to those things. When it's cold out, you put on a coat. In other words, you don't forget yourself in the sense that you, you know, forget to get dressed in the morning. You walk outside and people are like, you're like, what? You're like, you're not wearing any clothes. What? Why does that matter? I forgot about me a long time ago. You still have to have you in the gaze, but not in the focus of the gaze. And so if you were to practice that right now and say, uh, let's see, you could stare at like, say, this light up here, Okay? And as you're staring at that light, I want you to also see me in the picture, but have me blur, okay? So the focus is not me, it's that light. So I'm still there, you know I'm there, I'm making some noise right now, right? Hey, remember me. However, I am not the focus of your gaze. And that is the same thing in your soul. I cannot be the focus of your life. You are built to focus on something greater. The chief light is Jesus Christ. And then his next thing, as you focus on Jesus, he is going to turn your gaze to those in need around you. And he's going to say, I've given you this strength so that you can serve others with it. The forgotten self. It sounds like a risk, doesn't it? And yet, what I'm giving you is a secret to kick out those Vikings. If you want to live a life of freedom and you don't want Ivar to control this territory, you have to relegate I to its proper position. I is not what you are about. You are about Jesus. Jesus and him crucified. And when you find that as your focus, it's incredible. But it changes not just your life, but the world around you. This message was brought to you by the team at Eldersley Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.